Good morning. Woo. Got a little ring to my voice this morning. I'm Pastor Jedediah. I represent the Amish contingent here at E3. So, at least that's what people are telling me. I even had somebody Facebook me. I think it was Mary Coffey, and she said, because I have curly hair, I just need to kind of grow these out a little bit. I'm going to look like a Hasidic Jew. I don't know if I'm going to go for that or not. Uh, yeah, you can take a vote on it. I will... No, I will not do the will of the people. So all of you people that love me, you can, you can stop telling me that I need to shave. <laughs> I am under no delusion that this is a good-looking beard. Okay? Just so you know. It has a reason, it has a purpose, and in a few weeks, you can all make fun of Mark's bald head instead of my beard. It'll be all right. <laughs> That's right. You can still make fun of me for now. It's okay. Well, if you are uh, new with us, I am not Jedediah. I am Dan Meyer, and we are going through a series called His Name Is. And basically what we're looking at is, is the power of a name. Back in, the, back in the day in the Hebrew and Near East cultures, they had a very strong importance that they placed on names. A lot of times they wouldn't come up with a name beforehand, but actually they would wait until birth, and as the child came out, they would observe the child. And maybe even over the, the first year of its life, just kind of wait and, and try to identify the characteristics, the, the pattern, the, the influences, the, the attributes that were going on in this child, and then they would name it. Remember uh, some of the kids that came out, they called uh, Esau. He was red and he was hairy when he came out. And so that's, there you go, you're Esau. <laughs> you know, good luck with that the rest of your life. <laughs> um, and, and here in, in our culture, you know, maybe we put a little bit more importance on, on, on the, the coolness of a name. I remember growing up and, you know, it was like the, the Davids and the Justins, you know, there's the cool kids, you know, and I was like, David Bogomol smile, and you're like, yeah, I'm cool. But those were like the cool kids, those were the kids with the, the cool names, you know, and it was one of those things, it began this, this cool factor, and nowadays, you know, we have all kinds of weird names. I don't know if people are just naming kids just simply to be different, things like Apple. I don't know what's up with that. But in God's economy, he puts a very strong influence on a name. And so what we're doing is we're taking a look at, at a couple of verses in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah actually means Yahweh is salvation. And here in this book of Isaiah, we get kind of like this mini Bible. It has 66 books, 39 of the books uh, are talking about kind of, uh, they kind of represent the Old Testament and they're kind of telling Israel all of the things that they need to get right. And then the other 27 of the books towards the latter half really become very messianic, like the New Testament, begin to really just proclaim the Messiah. But here we have a glimpse of it in Isaiah 7:14 and 9:6. You can follow along on your fridge fold. The names of Christ the Messiah. All right, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. 
Isaiah 9, 6, a child has been born to us. God has given us a son. He will be responsible for leading the people. His name will be Wonderful, Counselor, and Powerful God, Father who lives forever, Prince of Peace. These names in my Bible, after Wonderful, that actually has, has a common, just kind of isolates Wonderful as its own thing and not just an adjective of Counselor. And Pastor Mark shared with us last week about Wonderful Counselor, about powerful God, mighty God. Wonderful is this miraculous, miraculous existence, this awe-inspiring, this revelation of the Messiah, of the, of the coming deliverer, counselor, advisor, one who helps us determine, one who guides us, one who helps us devise a plan for, for following God's will, and mighty, powerful God, this, this strong warrior God, this God who is indomitable he is unable to be defeated we talk about these names we talk about the messiah and 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 what really encapsulates who he is this morning we're going to be talking about father who lives forever and the prince of peace in isaiah chapter 9 it continues in in verse 7 and it says his government and its peace will never end he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor david for all eternity The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Continues in Psalm chapter 90, it says, Lord, through all the generations you have been our home. Before the mountains were were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. For you, a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. You sweep away like dreams that disappear. They are like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it is dry and withered. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Father who lives forever, Prince of Peace. And this thing, this Father who lives forever, Father is really just kind of like this this title of, of authority and of respect. It's this, it's this protecting kind of role. All of us, you know, we, we think of our fathers, and some of us, I remember having a conversation with, with one girl, and she says, it's impossible for me to look at God as my father. There's just too much pain. My father was such a jerk. My father did nothing but berate me and, and beat me and abuse me. My father did nothing but, but discourage me and tell me how worthless I am. My father, how do I relate to God as, as my father? This real disconnect was happening. And yet, over and over again in the word of God, God presents himself in this light of, of this father. And the idea, regardless of what our experience is, is, is this caretaker, is this, is this lover of our souls, is this... Well, when my, my daughter, JL, she, she wakes up in the morning, I get to watch him in the morning. And she comes into my room and she crawls into bed with me. And I say, hi, beautiful. I love you so much. Good morning. How is your sleep? And I begin to just kind of talk to her and this big smile gets on her face. And she says, daddy, I slept all the way through the night. (laughs) I say, thank you. (laughs) So did I. (laughs) But I take great joy. My heart just fills with this passion and this love And I begin to see this deeper glimpse of this great Father God. 
and how much he really loves me and how much he enjoys me as, as his creation. And how when, when he wakes up in the morning with me, so to speak, that he's eager to see me. And he's eager for me in my heart to be filled with joy to, to run to him and say, hey, daddy, I'm ready for some interaction with you. Hey, daddy, I, I'm ready to, to start our day together. Well, here's this father who lives forever. And a little bit, sometimes we look at this and we go, wait a second, this is, this is talking about the Messiah, this is talking about Jesus, this is talking about the Son. How are we calling him the, the Father who lives forever? And there's a, there's a, a nice verse in, uh, in the book of John, and it, well, actually, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead, we're going to get to it, we're going to get to it. But here in this picture of, of the Father, I grew up in the South, and so everything is, you know, it, it's yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and kind of these, these things of authority. It's so ingrained in me, you know, uh, when I'm talking to my son, Elijah, sometimes, I'm, and he's doing something, I'm like, no, sir. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second, you're only a year old, you know, it's kind of silly. But, but this, this kind of idea of this authority and in, in this, in this power and giving this respect and I, I had this guy who was in my mind. I remember I was in second grade, and he was the principal of our church, a principal of our school, and it was a, it was a church school. And he was, his name was Mr. Kerber. You know, if that wasn't ominous enough, you know, he was, he was like 6'2", 200 pounds. You know, he was like a walking Mount Rushmore. It looked like his face was just chiseled straight out of the rock, you know. And, and here he would come up to you and he had this, you know, this deep voice, you know. And he kind of, he would say good morning to you and you'd just kind of shake, <laughs> you know. And, and I remember one time there's this kid, Justin Gravel, and he always got into trouble. And somehow I ended up being associated with it this particular time. I hadn't really done it, but... The two of us were called into his office, you know, and he kind of drills us, gives us the, the inquisition, finds out what's going on, and determines where the judgment is going to fall. And I came clean. I was like, you know what, I, just, I didn't say that. I didn't do that. I was just a bystander, you know. He's like, all right, stand over there. And Justin's like, yeah, I said that. I did that. You know, he's like, all right, put your hands on the table. He puts his hands on the table, and he gets this paddle that... that I don't know, it looked like a broadsword, it was huge, and he, he winds back and he swings and, and Justin just goes flying under the table. His feet go out from underneath him and just one swipe was all it took, and I remember just going, wow, there's, a, there's some fear. <laughs> there's some fear here with this authority, this God who lives forever, this, this wonderful, amazing God who, who I can't grasp, who I can't understand, I can't wrap my mind around eternity there's this disconnect with my senses. I can't touch God. I can't see God. I can't taste God. I can't smell God. Even the times in the, in the fleeting moments where I thought that I heard the voice of God, you know, there's always that thing that comes in afterwards and says, oh, that was your own mind. Was it real? Is it, is it tangible? Is it concrete? And so what God does is He gives us Jesus. He gives us the wonderful counselor. He gives us the, he shows us that the way that he lives forever is a moment at a time and that he values every single moment. And as I was thinking about this, I was looking at some pictures, you know, going on Facebook and seeing these snapshots of people, seeing these, these status updates and seeing these, you know, these little 
comments that were, people were making and, and looking at all of these little moments, looking at all of these little snapshots and going, God wants to be active in each one of these. God wants to be a part of, of each and every one of these. Every time I update my status, like that status is revealing where I'm at in my life, what my attitude is. Maybe <laughs> if I'm complaining about something, you know, it's revealing that I, I've kind of missed the joy of, of, of why God has put me through this situation, allowed me to go into this situation. There was another time as I was trying to encounter this, this fear of God, this relationship with God, this Father who lives forever, Mr. Kerber was again a part of it, and, and I, I was sitting there with a, a bunch of my friends, and we were all in the front row of the church. And our church back then, we'd have dances like, there, there'd be these, there's like this dance team, and they'd have dances probably about, you know, once a month at least. Well, being, you know, stupid little third graders and fourth graders, you know, we're all sitting there, you know, and, and every time, you know, the ladies do this, this high leg kick, you know, we're all like, woo, you know, and Mr. Kerber's watching us. You know, he's got those evil eyes on us, you know. We're like oblivious to it, you know, and we're just really being, really being silly. And all of a sudden, Mr. Kerber walks up to us and he says, I know why you're clapping. And we all just like shriveled. <laughs> it was like, oh my gosh, my heart has been revealed. I'm busted. <laughs> and so we just kind of sat there, you know, and like looked at the floor and twiddled our thumbs like the rest of the time. And sometimes when we approach God, we come to God like that and, and we kind of like, we see his awe and we wonder and there's this disconnect of how we approach him. And yet in this revelation of Jesus Christ, in this Man who has come to earth and this God who has put on flesh and dwelt among us. He's come here and he's, he's come with a very specific purpose, with a very specific idea, with a very specific goal to minister to us and to reach us right where we're at. And if, if there's no clearer picture than this here, here in this section of Scripture, I think he does a great job in John chapter 10, verses 24 through 31. What's going on is Jesus has had this interaction with some of the Pharisees and with, with some of the Jews. And he's gone through this whole explanation with them and talking about them about, about how you know, he and God are one and, and how he, he heals this blind man and then the blind man gets excommunicated and, and he said, hey, the, the blind in the church, the blind leaders of, of this church, religion they don't see me they don't understand me they can't comprehend me and again the people are surrounding him john chapter 10 it says and they asked how long are you going to keep us in suspense if you were the messiah tell us plainly jesus replied i've already told you and you don't believe me the wonderful counselor the proof is the work i do in the father's name in my father's name but you don't believe me because you are not my sheep my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Eternal Father. No one can snatch them away from me for my Father has given them to me and He is more powerful than anyone else. Powerful God. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill Him. 
Here Jesus is just trying to explain his, his goal and his purpose. And he, here he is and he's saying, here I, I've come and I and, the, I and the Father are one. I've come to relate to you. I have work to do. I didn't come here just you know, to have a, a good time and to, and to put on flesh and, and to experience the tangible joys of life. I have work to do. I and the Father are one. I'm here to fulfill the expression of the heart of the Father towards all of humanity. That's why I'm here. I'm here to fulfill God's plan of redemption and restoration, God's covenant with man. I'm here to draw you into relationship, to draw you into fellowship. And I'm here to cause division for those who do not know me. And Jesus really here, as he's explaining what's going on to these people, and he's saying there's, there's these people who are, who are out there and they don't understand me and they're not going to be able to follow me, and yet I'm here to call my sheep. I'm here to do work. He says, I am here as a representation of God. I am here under authority. A lot of times we think of God, you know, and we think of him on the throne, we think of him seated in the heavenly places and we, and we view him as the creator. We view him as, you know, this, this God who, who fashioned everything. This God who came and, and who sacrificed everything. And here he is, we get this picture, he is under authority. He says, I'm a prince. The prince of peace. And the prince is subject to the king. I'm the son of my father and I know what my father wants and I'm going to subject subject myself and I'm going to do what my father wills me to do in Philippians 2 chapter 8 through 11 we get the fulfillment we get his mission we get the explanation of why he came here and it says he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of the things I did this week was I went through the, the book of Acts. I really encourage you to do this. I don't have time here to go through all the examples, but Look up where it says the name of Jesus. Just do a search on the name of Jesus. And what you're going to find are all these examples where, where people were persecuted because of the name of Jesus, where they were disgraced. You're going to find these examples where, where people preached boldly in the name of Jesus and where people were baptized in the name of Jesus, where people gave thanks and counted themselves honored to suffer. In the name of Jesus, the power of this name. I was on MSN this week and I, I clicked this link. It said, uh, three-year-old denied birthday cake. And I clicked on it and I was like, that's kind of interesting. I don't know, it just caught my eye, maybe because I have a three-year-old. And I clicked on it and, and this, this article pops up. And it says, the father of, of a three-year-old was denied a birthday cake with the child's full name on it by a New Jersey supermarket. Heath Campbell and his wife Deborah are, are upset not only with the decision made by the Greenwich 
ShopRite, but with the outpouring of angry internet postings in response to a local newspaper article over the weekend. Heath Campbell says, I think people need to take their heads out of the cloud they've been in and start focusing on the future and not on the past. There's a new president, and he says it's a time for change. Well, then it's time for a change, the 35-year-old continued. They need to accept a name. A name's a name. The kid isn't going to grow up and do what his namesake did. Heath Campbell said he named his son because he liked the name and because no one else in the world would have that name. What's this kid's name? Adolf Hitler Campbell. There's no power in a name? (laughs) What? Are you kidding me? And he says, well, we're not a race, we're not racist family, you know, we're going to have a birthday party and, and, the, and the, you know, we've got kids of all races coming, of all nationalities coming to our house, you know. He named his, his daughter, his two-year-old, Jocelyn Aryan Nation Campbell. I see a pattern forming here. No power in a name? What's going on? And here, when we live our lives, when we live our lives as Christians, when we say, I am a Christian, I I put the name of Christ on myself, what I'm saying is I do things in the name of Christ. I'm doing things in the name of Jesus. And so people stand on the outside and they're looking at this and they go, all right, the things that you're doing, you're doing those things in the name of Jesus? How do I feel about those things? Do I like those things? Are those things that anger me? Are those things that make me feel good? Are those things that inspire me and encourage me? Are those things that tear me down? Are these things that build me up and push me to do good? Or are these things that stir up bitterness and strife? Not that one of those answers is the right answer. Things that we do in the name of Jesus will certainly encourage, they will certainly build up, and they will certainly also cause bitterness and cause hate and cause us to be rejected. But we have to be careful as we go into this, just the same way that Jesus is. He's saying, the things that I'm doing, I'm doing because I'm doing it in the name of the Father. I'm doing it as if the Father was doing it, because the Father and I are one. We're here. We're part of it. We're part of what you're going through. Israel's going through a tough time in the book of Isaiah. And the first, first few chapters, you'll see that, that basically God sends Isaiah to speak some truth. The first several chapters begins with this. It's almost like an indictment. It, it's, it's, a, it's a proclaiming of the wrong things that they've done, where they've fallen short of God's commands. And it reads something like this. They've, there are people that... They've been calling evil good and good evil. They've perverted the truth. They're wise in their own eyes. They're prudent in their own sight. No one can speak into their lives. They've become an island. They're valiant in mixing and drinking strong drink. Pride is taken in escaping reality and facilitating that. They take bribes to justify the wicked. Justice has been perverted and unbelief. Doubt and lies convince the majority that life is pointless. Sitting here reading this, and I'm going, 
this is a commentary on the 21st century. <laughs> Did I just read about my life? <laughs> Did I just read about what I see all around me? Wow, how relevant is this? And here God is not indicting in some kind of condemning way. We know that the condemnation, it, it, condemnation is not what God is after. He's after speaking the truth and he's after drawing us into a relationship. And here Jesus is in the face of man's weakness and depravity saying, hey, I've come. I've come to draw you into relationship. I've come to draw you out of depravity. And as I was looking at this, I was looking at this, this prince of peace. The one who's going to reconcile. The one who's going to, to make all things right. I had to ask myself, you know what? Where, where exactly does my peace come from? What are the things that I have set up in my life that give me peace? What is it that I have given authority to make me feel safe, to make me feel secure, to make me feel at ease? Is it circumstances? Hey, life's good. Money? My portfolio looks good? I don't have a portfolio. My job is secure and steady. I have relational fulfillment. Is it wrapped up? Is my peace wrapped up in the way that others view me? This kind of codependency where, hey, everybody loves me, so I must be okay. Or this one person loves me. I must be all right. Is this where I find my peace? Is this where I find my safety and my security? And I came to Romans chapter 5. In the first five verses, it says, Therefore, since... Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Jesus is the only Prince of Peace. The only lasting, true, indomitable peace. But there's two sides to this peace. There's this safety and there's this security. There's this, there's this at ease. There's this good shepherd who's protecting his sheep. Where we feel safe and we feel secure when we know that, that God is for me. And then there's this other side of peace that's reconciling. Where God is in the process of molding us and shaping us, where God is perfecting us. There's this other side of peace that's kind of dirty. <laughs> there's this other side that we're, where the peace that we're seeking and the peace that we're going for actually is, is causing problems in our life, is actually causing disruption. It's actually making us feel confused at times. It's actually making us a, a little bit uneasy. And as I was going through this, as I was seeing the power of God in this reconciling, I realized this character flaw of mine. This year has been probably one of like the hardest years of my life. And I, and I didn't know why. 
I'm going, I, I understand that there's changes. I understand that all of these different things are going on. Why, though, am I beginning to experience these new things? These new things like anxiety and and moments of of depression and and i i kept going man it's just this spiritual attack i began to spiritualize the situation and and what i was doing was i was actually missing out (laughs) on my own sin (laughs) i was actually missing out on this this huge character flaw of mine where i wasn't letting god reconcile these certain things and as, as he wanted to come in and as he, as he wanted to be the Prince of Peace, I kept, come, I kept kind of pushing back on him and saying, all right, God, you're the Prince of Peace. Just, just give me that peace. Give me that peace that surpasses understanding that guards my heart and my mind, you know? Just give it to me, right? Just make me feel it. Wave your magic wand and just zap me. Make it go away. Be wonderful. Do this, this miracle. And what I, what I totally missed out on was that there was this pattern in my life that was causing the problem. And that character flaw was avoiding conflict. My wife already knew this. <laughs> Renee spoke very bold me, boldly <laughs> to me the other day and was like, you know what? You run away from con- from conflict, and I and I had to admit, I'm a coward. There's this aspect of me that is cowardly, where I lack courage. Where it, for the sake of peace, I call it seeking peace, right? <laughs> and I, and I sit there and I go, all right, well, you know, we just need to be at peace. I, I don't want to talk about that. That causes strife. That causes problems. You know, you got an issue with that? You just need to go pray about that, right? You need to deal with that. And what I was missing out was that that God was calling me to a place of reconciling, of having my life open, letting it be an open book. And anywhere that my life was an open book and it caused problems, I had to work through those things. And that those things, those problems were an exercise of my faith, but they were also an exercise of other people's faith. And that was okay. And I missed out on this whole idea as it said there, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. I'd stopped rejoicing in the hope of my salvation, and I'd become stagnant. I lost hope that there would be change in my situation, and so I became introverted and I shut down. And I let this one side of my personality, which ironically is called peaceful phlegmatic, (laughs) and this perfect melancholy, although I'm most of the time neither peaceful nor perfect, (laughs) I let that turn me into this analyzing introvert, this island of my own, that turned me into a monster. That turned me into, took me to this place of anxiety and depression and boxed me in and put me into a cage where I lost my freedom, I lost my hope, I lost my ability to rejoice. I thank God that He gave me the opportunity 
that he opened my eyes and he said, you're no longer blind. <laughs> Here. It's kind of like that blind man that he comes and he, he spits in his hand and he takes the dirt and he rubs it in and puts this spit paste <laughs> on the guy's eyes. And you're kind of like, that's gross, Jesus. Like, why are you doing that? That's pretty disgusting. Couldn't you just, you know, just touched his eyes? Like, what was the point of that, you know? Sometimes it's dirty and sometimes it's messy and sometimes it's, it's gross. It's gross for me to sit in front of you at, as your spiritual leader and to say I'm, I've been cowardly. It's disgusting. It's dishonorable. But it's real. <laughs> it's a life. It's part of who I have been and it's part of, of what I'm trying to push past. And it's part of my struggle and my relationship with God to not be stagnant, to not be introverted, to not let life beat me down, and not to avoid this conflict. Because peace isn't found in seclusion. It isn't found in the foolishness of escapism. It's found in the Prince of Peace and the Father who lives forever. And this hope is not going to disappoint us, the Word tells us. In Matthew chapter 6, there's a, a section of verses that we all know. In your Bible, it's probably titled the Lord's Prayer. But actually what it is, is it's Jesus teaching us how to pray. Most of you probably have it memorized. <laughs> and here as he, as he teaches us how to pray, he gives us this outline, not as some kind of a mantra, not some kind of a of a formula, all right, pray this prayer, you know, and everything is going to be okay. But he did it as an example in revealing the lifestyle that he lived, this lifestyle of humility and this lifestyle of being under authority and in subjection to his Father as the Son and being in subjection to the King as the Prince. What I'd like for us to do is, is if we can just stand together, and really what this is, is this isn't the Lord's Prayer. This is, this is a sinner's prayer, is what it is. As we enter into a time of worship, as we enter into a time of, of rejoicing, let's keep this pattern in our minds and let's, let's move forward. I'd like for you to join me as we say this sinner's prayer, as we as we go to God and we say, God, in heaven, blessed is Your name. Your kingdom come. As we lay it all down before Him and as we honor Him with the sacrifice of all that He wants, which is all of us. That's all He wants. Everything that, that You are. Everything that I am. Let's go to the Father. Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.